This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Roy, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. We're rolling along here on a Friday. Mike Lefko, Brady Henderson, Maura Dooley, Justin Barnes in with you. We did get a brief cameo from Brock Heward. Uh, football coach, Brock Heward, as we learned. Can't you picture him with the beach play sheet and the glasses? Well, and I can picture the the shorts hiked up oh, too yeah. high, uh, the over-exuberant clapping. And honestly, before he said he wasn't going with the offensive play sheet, I figured he was trying to install like 10 to 12 plays on day two. Yeah. I think Brock would make a good coach. He would because, yeah, he fits the enthusiastic yeah. hype mold. He'd, he'd, yeah. be a, he'd be more Pete Carroll than Bill Belichick. Um, but I can, I can just picture him with the huge play sheet and the glasses, like hunched over watching the play where he's got, you know, one eye on the play sheet. He's got the other eye on the, on the field. He just seems like he'd be a natural. He would ha- yeah. There'd be a lot of Pete Carroll there yeah. and Brock. Um, okay. We're going to talk about current Seahawks related things. It's time to continue our most intriguing Seahawks countdown with, uh, a number here. Number 16. I almost said number 16. I realize. It's going to say number 16 for me. So, yeah, that's the official announcement that number 16 is Charles Cross. And this is a guy where you kind of expected he would step in and be the starter right away since you draft him in the top 10. He's spending a pick like that. You need help uh, on the offensive line. He comes in. He starts a left tackle. Brady, I was stunned. I had to go back and look to make sure he played all but two snaps last year. That's a lot. That's a lot of wear and tear on a body. That's thoroughly impressive that Charles Cross with that durable. All but two snaps. So you plug in a rookie, and all of a sudden he's your anchor at left tackle. Doesn't miss any time. Thoroughly reliable. So now what's next for Charles Cross? How do you go from just being reliable to being a legitimate offensive weapon out there? I mean, I think he's got Pro Bowl, all pro potential. And, you know, look, when you draft a guy in the top 10 like they did, uh, that's what you're hoping for, and I have seen nothing to dissuade uh, that thought from him. Now, last year, um, he was, I think he ranked third in ESPN's pass block win rate among rookies. Actually, the number two guy was Abe Lucas at right tackle. Hmm. Uh, but So he was ahead of the two other uh, offensive tackles that went before him, Evan Neal uh, and Ikem uh, Okwanu, I think I'm saying his name right, but... Um, you know, and if you go back to week two, remember that that conversation uh, with the Seahawks about how you know even though they lost that game at San Francisco and their offense was shut out, remember Pete Carroll said that they saw enough uh, from Geno and the offense to really open things up and to no longer hold Geno Smith back. Part of that was they felt like their young tackles, Charles Cross and Abe Lucas. They, they felt like they could trust those guys to hold up in pass protection against if they could do it against San Francisco and Bosa and the best defensive line that they were going to see all season. Uh, they felt like they could do it against anybody. So those guys, my point being there, came in, made a really strong impression right away. Um, you know, the other day where I was out there at Seahawks practice watching the one on one pass rush drill, which you're ever out there. That is the one thing you have to watch. I saw Daryl Taylor put this wicked spin move. Uh, on Charles Cross and Charles Cross like did not bat an eye. He adjusted to it. He stayed with Daryl Taylor. It it was, I mean, Daryl Taylor is, has one of the most explosive, you know, first steps uh, of any player in the NFL. And then he combined that with a spin move. 
And to just see a, a 300 plus pound guy, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, whatever Charles Cross is, move like that, uh, you think, okay, that's why team, that's why left tackle is such a premium position. That's why the Seahawks spent a top 10 pick on Charles Cross last year. Uh, guys that move that well, that quick, that powerfully, they're just rare. And Charles Cross has all the physical tools. So I think, uh, I think a legitimate possibility for him taking that jump from year one to year two is can he be a Pro Bowl guy? I think that's entirely within reason. He's got the physical tools. He showed last year that it wasn't too big for him. He showed he could be durable, playing all but two snaps over a 17-game season, playing in the trenches. That's pretty remarkable. So he's got everything you're looking for in a left tackle, and I I think he's got Pro Bowl, all-pro potential. And there was another thing that Pete Carroll liked about him, and this was after the Niners game uh, in December, that one here, that what Thursday night game? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that Thursday night game that uh, Pete Carroll liked about Charles Cross after that one. Kind of liked it. Uh, It looked like Charles got kind of pissed off a little bit last night. He's real quiet, and I I, I liked that he was bad. I think somebody knocked his helmet off or whatever, and, yeah. and he got after a little bit. That's going to come, and th- there's there's a whole another a whole another dimension to their their confidence and their their ability as they're growing. That's going to show up and be a big part of what's. what's you know, G- yeah, and, and and when you think about Abe Lucas on the right side, remember that one of the big stories, uh, one of the, the cool storylines from last preseason was Abe Lucas was pancaking guys, driving guys into the dirt, showing that nastiness that you think of when you think of right tackles, especially some of the right tackles Seattle has had in the past. Uh, and yeah, that is that to your point, that is an interesting kind of next step for you know a specific part of the evolution of his game is does some of the nastiness come out when you talk to Charles Cross, or at least I remember from last year talking to him. Really quiet, really reserved guy. Uh, would not say a whole lot. Not not wasn't surly by any means, but uh, just was kind of kind of a to himself guy. And I wonder if you start, we'll start to see some of the personality come out in year two now that he has had a year under his belt in the NFL. Um, and I wonder if some of the the nastiness will start to come out in him. And that feels important, especially in this division, when you're going to yeah. go up against a guy like Nick Bosa, who, by all metrics, right, is probably the best edge rusher in the NFL. I think your uh, your colleagues there, we had Jeremy Fowler on. Remember yeah. last time you were in here and he ranked Nick Bosa in that list as the best edge rusher in the NFL this season. And Last year certainly stood up there. So if you're going to face Nick Bosa two to three times a year, it feels like you're going to need some of that nastiness to counter back with. Totally. And it's Nick Bosa, it's Armstead, it's Aaron Donald, and you know everybody. Like This is a, a division that's got a lot of top-end pass rushers. And you know when you're playing San Francisco, the most physical team in the division, uh, some of that, you know, you're going to have to play like that in order to win. You, you just saw San Francisco kind of outlast Seattle. You know, a couple of those games were kind of close until the second half and, and San Francisco, just the physicality won out uh, over the course of a game over 60 minutes. And um, I'm curious to see what that looks like out of Seattle this season. I'm curious to see what that looks like out of Charles Crosses. Does he have kind of that extra gear that you saw from Abe Lucas last year? Uh, you mentioned that he was second among rookies in pass block win rate, not among top 10 overall. So do you think he could jump into that? And I guess quickly, you can kind of refresh what that means. Cause that's an ESPN metric used yeah. to judge uh, defensive linemen, offensive linemen. So from the offensive line standpoint, how is that calculated? Yeah. So it's pass block win rate. So that measures uh, the frequency at which an offensive lineman uh, sustains his block for at least 2.5 seconds or longer. 2.5 seconds might sound kind of arbitrary, but they 
you know, did a bunch of studies and, and basically felt like that's that's a key number in terms of how long a quarterback should have to throw the ball. Um, and so 2.5 seconds, uh, you're, you're just looking at how often they sustain their block for that long. And that I think it's a, it's a cool stat because it it works to differentiate pressure and sacks that result from a faulty blocking or B the quarterback mm-hmm. just holding the ball too long. And, you know, it's just not realistic to expect an offensive lineman to sustain his block for five seconds. And so this really well, sort know of about that discrepancy. Deli- yeah, here. exactly. Right. So this, that stat kind of, uh, it, it works to separate, to differentiate pressure. That's, re- that's the fault of the blocker versus the fault of the quarterback. Now, what about uh run block win rate? I guess we're looking at the offense line as a whole now, because in that comprehensive look back at 2022, Team run block win rate, the Seahawks are 24th in the league. Kind of surprising. Yeah. Considering that they ran the ball pretty well last season, at least in spurts, at least while their backfield was healthy. I, I don't have the numbers on cross um, in front of me, but yeah, that, that that number does seem kind of low for how well they ran the ball by and large last year. Do you think that's where, okay, year two, Lucas, cross, you get maybe a more experienced center in here or, you know, a rookie that they're high on. Is that where that can build up and... That number. Do you think that number will take a big leap forward for the Seahawks? I would imagine so, yeah. When you talk about um, just the, the fact that they, well, I say this right now and one of their running backs is hurt, but, uh, you know, p- part of what you saw late last season when Geno Smith kind of ran into that, that rough patch uh, in December was, remember, that was when Ken Walker was hurt. And I, I feel like Geno uh, put too much, tried to put too much on himself. You were seeing him play maybe a little more aggressively than he and Pete Carroll would like and I wonder if part of that was you know they didn't have Ken Walker there the run game was struggling um, and so the idea with having Charbonnet there is that you've got if one guy goes down you should still be well set your backfield should not you know take that should not fall off that way and that should help Gino uh, you know when you're missing both guys that conversation goes out the window but by and large yeah I, I think that their run game should be better this year Um because it should be deeper. All right, that is our most intriguing Seahawks countdown. That was number 16, Charles Cross. So number 15 coming up on Monday. This hour is driven by Wayscar Ford here on the Brock and Salk Show. Up next, though, uh, new info coming out about the Pac-12, plus some key injury updates on Seahawks players that you'll need to know about. This is the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, the Pac 12 drama continues, and we were literally just talking to Brock about 30 minutes ago where it felt like the Pac 12 was going to be saved. The grant of rights deal was being voted on. Brock struck an optimistic tone. Well, let's turn 180 degrees here. Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports says the Pac-12 could not close a grant of rights deal this morning. And now the fate of the league likely rests on whether Oregon can make a deal with the Big Ten. So, Brady, they might be all dead again. Yeah, this sort of feels like free agency where things just happen up to the minute. Um, And now it it does make you wonder, was that sort of a Hail Mary, what we were talking about earlier, when it seemed like the Pac-12 could be saved? Was that just a last-ditch effort? Um, it would be a shame, and we talked about this earlier. It'd be a shame if if there was no, you know, Washington, Washington State, uh, no Apple Cup, no Civil War. It's that that's kind of the one of the downsides of this potential move is that all those classic rivalries that we love uh, are will be no longer. You know what? Uh, Jake Dickert thoroughly agrees with you. You know the old question: How long would it take TV money to destroy college football? Maybe we're here. You know, maybe we're here. You know to think. 
even remotely five years ago, the Pac-12 would be in this position. It's unthinkable to think that we're here today. And to think that local rivalries are at risk and fans driving four hours to watch their team play in a road game and rivalries is at risk, to me is unbelievable. And I know our place at the table. At the end of the day, Pac-12 football and Pac-12 brand, man, if we stay together, is really strong and we'll have a strong future. I firmly believe in that. Yeah, we were talking about all the analogies and Brock went on his maybe slightly long-winded one. I think you summed it up best there. It is like free agency where you're going down to the minute, to the deadline of where someone's going to sign and you think one thing's happened and sometimes you pull a contract back and a guy signs somewhere else. That's what it feels like right now. And uh, we'll keep you updated throughout the day here on Seattle Sports because this feels like a by-the-minute evolving conversation with the Pac-12. Here's the second thing you need to know. Mariners are in good shape after a win over the Angels, but uh, took a lot of resolve and that comeback spirit that kind of embodied this team over those 90 win seasons in 2021 and 2022. And it literally came down to perhaps uh, an unsung and unanticipated hero in the ninth. Down the stretch. And the 0-2 pitch swing and a high fly ball. Deep to right field. Renfro going back to the warning track, looking up and Grandma, get out the right, Brad and Mustard. It is Grand Salami time. Cade Marlowe with his first career Grand Slam straightaway right field into the big bleachers. And it's now the Mariners 5 and the Angels 3. Entirely too much salami talk this morning while I'm hungry. Uh, that's all I'm thinking about. But uh, great call there by Riz and a, a big moment for the Mariners. And we talked about this a little bit to start the show. The hilarity of Shohei Otani being so good and the Angels just always finding ways to lose. It is amazing when you think they've got two generate. I mean, beyond generational players, Otani and Mike Trout, and they just haven't made the most of those two players. It's it's unfathomable. It is something. So uh, game two of this four-game series, which is a critical stretch because these teams are still bunched up pretty closely in the wildcard standings. The Mariners right now, 57 and 52. The Angels right behind them, 56 and 54. Game two tonight, another 638 first pitch. And Luis Castillo on the mound for the M's. Here's the third thing you need to know. Seahawks Fan Fest tonight and the mock game as well. It's all happening at Lumen Field. The gates open at 4 o'clock. Mock game at 520. Uh, This is not a preseason game. There are only three of them. But because you don't have that fourth preseason game anymore, Pete Carroll puts a lot of stock in what they can take away from the mock game. Uh, Situations, you know, and see how guys, how they respond. Do they take to the the coaching and the learning and all? And do they make good choices when they get their opportunities and, and see how they... I'm trying to make a big deal about it to them, you know, that it's a big test and all that, because I want them to feel uh, uh, some anxiety about it and, and know that there, you know, that there is a test that's involved in this day. Probably pretty important, right, for rookies to get into that stadium experience, yeah. where everything is, where the clocks are, what it feels like. I know it won't be a, a game day crowd, but a, a fast simile of that. And I imagine that's an important, hey, get that out of the system before the real games start to happen. Yeah, they're, they're trying to ramp these guys up for preseason games, which are a ramp up to the regular season. And if you go to this uh, scrimmage tonight, you'll see that it, it's not like a the format isn't like a preseason game where they're playing you know normal nfl game rules for 60 minutes it's you see a lot of uh first team offense second team defense vice versa uh, you see them in different situations it's not like a um you know full kickoff full nfl game format it's a little different but it's closer to an actual game 
than what you see uh, in in training camp practices. So they're still ramping them up contact wise. They've only had pads on for I think three or four practices now, uh, and this is this is a bigger deal I think for the rookies and the guys who are battling for positions than it is for the starters who you know aren't who you sort of know who's going to be where you know what you're going to get out of those guys this is more for the young players and and to see how some of those position battles at center uh at nickelback uh, at outside linebacker to see where those position battles are standing right now one of those rookies zach charbonnet yeah. he practiced yesterday so that ended a, a lot of speculation that was good to see ken walker still not practicing so we'll see what we get out of uh, zach charbonnet there and a couple other things you need to know around the nfl defensive end uh unique and signed a one-year ten and a half million dollar deal 10 million guaranteed with the bears he had nine and a half sacks last year were you surprised he was still out there? He's been on a couple of teams now, but it felt like that's a guy with with some production behind his name. Yeah, and not and he's been in the NFL I think since 2016, but he is not a super old guy. Um, Javion Clowney is another player, another edge player that is still out there. Remember Clowney watch a few years ago mm-hmm. when everybody was wondering if he was going to resign in Seattle. Uh, that ship has obviously sailed, uh, but. Yeah, Unique Ngakwe, been a pretty productive player. I remember there was one point where he was linked to Seattle and whether or not Seattle might uh, make a move for him. But uh, that's that's a good deal for this late in the game. Usually teams have you know spent all of their big money and you just see smaller deals. This is a one-year deal, but for what he's getting, what is it, $10 million? Uh, yeah, $10 million guaranteed. $10, $10 million million guaranteed. Oh. That, that's, that's a nice contract for this late into the summer. It's only 28. 28. I didn't realize he was that young. Yeah. I felt like he was kind of into the 30 range where, okay, maybe you don't take a risk on a defensive end like that. Yeah, the production's there, but uh, surprising he was on the market that long. So uh, that is everything you need to know as we continue the Seahawks talk. We got a lot to get to, and uh, we're going to have G. Scott join us next. It is the Brock and Salk Show. Mike Lefko, Brady Henderson in here on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, we're having fun on a Friday. Mike Lefko, Brady Henderson. We got G in with us now. G, you're already busy trying to help Brady out with his life here. Hey, first of all, first of all, I just want to say good morning to all the Brock and Sog listeners out there. Lefko, man, this is the first time I've ever been on air with you, yes, man. It's so true. good. You was know, a good looking dude. You know what? This is the best looking Brock and Sog show I've ever seen. Lefko, damn that? good looking. Brady, you've been good looking for a whole lot of years, man. You married yet, bro? Married? No, no. How? You one of the best looking sport. By the oh, way, a boy. lot of these sports reporters here locally oh, are ain't good looking. I mean, as a matter of fact, they're awful looking. You, my friend, when I see you at training camp, boy, you look good. What's up? What's up with your relationship? Well, thank you for saying that because I, f- <laughs> I feel like when I go to training camp, I'm just putting on like a golf shirt and shorts and I'm just like rushing out the door. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I appreciate you for saying that. Yeah, okay. That's a nice compliment. That's a new promo for this show, by the way. Yeah, next time man. we fill in, next time it's Brady and me, that promo's going to Best looking Brock and Salk show. B- best looking. Yeah, best looking. Man, thank you guys for having me. I always look forward to coming in on Fridays. By the way, uh, Lefko, that was the best introduction I've ever had because usually it is uh, you know, it's Mike Salk introducing me, mm-hmm. and it's not usually that good. What are we talking about today? What's happening? I was going to say, what do you want to start with? Because you had some strong Pack thoughts on 12. the Pack 12. Pack twelve okay. is what's going on. The Pack twelve is Pack twelveing. We've all yeah. watched the Pack twelve game late at night. You know what I'm saying? You've been, you know, I'm a little tired, a little sleepy, but this team's getting blown out. So you go to sleep, 
And then you wake up the next morning, Lefko, and you wake up the next morning, you're like, whoa, whoa what happened? <laughs> they came back. So then this morning, we all are getting teased, right? We thought the Pac-12 was happening and was going to be coming back. Here's what really happened, y'all. I'm going to tell you. Oregon and UW was in that meeting, like being in counseling with your significant other. You're trying to work on your relationship. At least you're pretending to try. Meanwhile, you got your burner side phone on the side, and you texting that new boo. Washington <laughs> and Oregon is texting the Big Ten like, yo, what's up? You got a spot for us to move in? Are we going to do this or not? Because they want to do things. And so Oregon and UW is in that meeting. They want them to, quote, unquote, sign the grant of rights, right? And they, they didn't want to sign it because the relationship, there's something happening outside of there. And without UW and Oregon, the Pac-12 can't sustain, if you will. I just want to, my last point on this is, this is really sad, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is truly sad. And it is a reminder, right? Like, we, you, anybody listening right now, you did not fall in love with sports for money. You did not fall in love with sports for finances. Oregon and or UW, with the potential of them moving to the Big Ten, is about finances. We fans and our memory of sports is tied to tradition, right? That's what it's about. Grandma, grandpa, daddy, auntie. Remembering those times. Man, I can't even talk about stadiums these days without talking about a corporate name. So it's really sad. The Conference of Champions, right? Pac-12. Conference of Champions will possibly be no more. The potential of there not being an Apple Cup. Heartbreaking. So anyways, I, I think this is bad news. I think this is where sports is going. And again, for those of you that's listening right now that has tied in and bought into sports because of tradition, because of love, it's a sad day for all of us. I, I think one of the the interesting like subplots about the potential UW move uh, to the Big Ten is just logistically what that would look like travel-wise. And I'm curious to get your take on this because you have a, uh, a son who plays big-time football. Uh, and, and you know kind of what, the, what that's like when you're trying to balance school uh, and athletics. What do you think that would look like logistically when you've got you know the UW doing a cross country flight to you know play on the east coast on a tuesday night like how would that even work it just seems like that would be a huge logis- logistical challenge football eh, like there's a facade in this whole idea that um the education and the schoolwork comes before football i don't i ain't want to gossip and you ain't heard it from me okay but I'm going to tell y'all something, okay? Don't shh, don't tell anybody. Uh, football comes before school. Right. All right? Let's just get that straight. However, football is fine. Legit, whatever. They're going to be okay. Trust me. It's the other sports that I worry about, right? Not just, I mean, when you start switching conferences, there are other sports that are still going to be need to be played. What about those sports who don't have the support that a football program is going to have. So left go, that's the part that probably bothers me the most. Yeah, like the men's soccer from Seattle to go all the way to Rutgers on, right. a, on a Thursday night. You're going to miss a, a full four days of school, and that's yeah. uh, it's a heck of a haul. I think that's what came out, right, that UW wanted an extra $10 million or so to account for all this travel. Maybe that's the holdup. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a, a negotiating tactic to try to get more of a share out of this Big Ten deal. But football will be fine. You're right. 
as G mentions, it, it's a football-driven realignment. That's been realignment yeah. for decades. That's going back to the original, as Brock said, the old Southwest Conference broke up because of football. So football will always drive realignment. It's the other sports that, that suffer or then aren't as competitive or have to deal with all of that. So it will be tough for them, but schools, no offense to the other sports, they don't care about that when thinking about realignment. That's just the sad nature of it. Very well said. They, they don't. And I, I, again, this is just, um, you know, I, I don't care where. I mean, yeah, my son goes and he plays at uh, Ohio State. No, no, no doubt about it. But I live here on the West Coast, y'all, right? I get to, no, I don't have a, you know, a, a dog in the fight when it comes to UW and Wazoo, but I'm a football fan first. You think I don't like being around that rivalry? You think I don't like being around being around the action here locally when there's Pac-12 games being? Come on, right? Like this again. This is the Conference of Champions. That's that's what the nickname of this conference was, and it goes back for many years of the Pac-12. In my opinion, not taking care of its own. It goes back to the early '90s. We have what happened in the early '90s. All you dog fans out there, when you guys won the national championship, right? And then all of a sudden, there's these sanctions. Oh, why? Because of recruiting stuff. Somebody got a pizza pizza and they weren't supposed to. And the Pac-12, excuse me, the Pac-10 at that time turned their back on the University of Washington, right? Like, excuse me. It's not you. It's me. (laughs) Right? Do you (laughs) think, do you guys think that the SEC... If there were some recruiting violations and some pizza was bought and you weren't supposed to buy that and, and that car for that family, do you think the SEC is going to put Alabama on sanctions? You guys think Alabama would, would have their backs turned on them the way the University of Washington had their backs turned on them by the conference? Let's go to the early 2000s when the entire world was watching USC and Reggie Bush. It was the greatest thing in the country. What happened? Oh, sorry, Reggie Bush had a car bought for his family. So what? Right? That's why, And that's why we're here today. All of the greatest memories in sports have come from the Pac-12, and yet we're in this situation right now. Sad so leadership. How, how, how does it end? How do you see it ending? <sighs> I see, I see UW and Oregon. I'm gonna make this prediction. I see them going to the Big Ten. I think that um, from a Big Ten's perspective, there's a lot of good, you know, there's a lot of good fans. There's a lot of good money, you know, that can be uh, back and forth with UW and the Big Ten. Same thing with Oregon, right? So that relationship is there. In order for the Pac-12 to still exist. The Pac-12 would basically have to be giving more money to Oregon and UW because without them, it don't exist. So I do predict that Oregon and or UW will be heading to the Big Ten. And I also predict in the near future that this is going to come down to about just two conferences, just battling out, playing football. You know what would be cool? And um, it would be cool if, by the way, I just got into soccer. I wasn't into soccer, and Ted Lasso brought me into soccer, and it got me to understanding over the Champions League and all that. I'm like, yo, this is dope, right? You know what would be cool? What if? What if they brought, like, that format that they do over there in soccer and brought that here to college football, right? Where you're just like, okay, you've been playing well. Now you're up there with the big boys, and then you guys that's not playing well, you guys are kicked down at that level. So I I think that's where we're heading to. We're just heading down to why? 
it ain't about tradition no more, y'all. It's about money. Big Ten and ESPN. How much is that contract? Let me remind you. It was $1 billion. It's not about tradition. So the, I need so the, billion, Jerry. Show me the money. So Jerry, the bad teams get relegated to the Pac-12? Is that, is that the idea? <laughs> I don't I, 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 well, whatever, I, I guess, some conference, but uh, I don't know. I mean, what, what, what do you guys think as far as, like, uh, where are you guys at with college football, where it's heading? Are you Do you like where it's heading? Uh, wh- your thoughts? I was going to say, you've got more college football talk out of Brady than I expected. So, yeah. kudos on that. Very impressive. Yeah, when it, when it gets to this, I mean, I couldn't tell you who's going to you know win what or who's the stud players or anything, but when it gets into this interesting, it's kind of like the CBA stuff in the NFL where it's you know playing out and boardrooms and stuff, courtrooms, uh, it does get kind of interesting on a different yeah. level. But I don't know. What do you there think? Is, there is a distinct difference between college football and the NFL because of rivalries, traditions, nostalgia that you have, memories growing up, and it's the passion that brings a diehard fan base of college fans and separates them from the NFL because we love the NFL, but it is a business. You have players leave. You have coaches get fired. In college, you grow up with a town, a team, some kind of connection. Maybe you went there. Your parents went there. So when you have these built-in, ingrained rivalries, to see it fluctuate and just go, all right, well, we're going to have UW Rutgers on, uh, on a Saturday here. That that does nothing. That it, does nothing for anyone. There. It does absolutely nothing. And, and, and all and oh, one more thing. Where do I see all of this going? Well, if you go big picture, right? Big picture. Ten years from now, fifteen years from now, this this model and what we're doing right now, this can't sustain, right? Because again, people watch this stuff, especially college football, right? Because of the tradition, because of the connection. And you didn't come into college football saying, "Hey, I started watching college football because I was getting five hundred dollars a month." No, you started watching college football because either A, you went to that school or your mama, your, your, your family went to that school or B, your family uh, took you to those games. Mm-hmm. There, you have some type of connection and some real reason why that you are a fan of that school. Money or money for the conferences does nothing for you with that. So, so it's really unfortunate. Well, I just had to check again to make sure nothing new has happened with the Pac-12 because it keeps changing every 20 minutes or so. So we'll get back to that uh, coming up at 9.15 with Need to Know. But yeah, you guys, well involved with the Seahawks. What do you, what do you want to talk about with the Seahawks here? Because I think well, you're both going to the mock game tonight. You're going to be around. Yep. You're going to be part of that. Yeah, I can't wait. To be a part of the uh, mock game that's going to be there. I'm looking forward to hanging out with the fans. I know that I mean, right now I heard it's going to be like 16,000 that's going to be there for this mock game uh, down there seeing practices. I'm just looking forward to just see. Look, I just love football. I watched yesterday the preseason game. The preseason was off the hook. We found the guy. We were wondering. We were wondering, okay, what NFL sicko out there watched the game? Because Brady didn't. I didn't. <laughs> the, the entire game. The entire I, look, game. Wow. I don't. You and Bump. You and Michael Bumpus. No, no, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what it is. I, I was telling. I, I've been talking about it on social media. I told all my friends. I am more excited about this upcoming football season than any time in my life. I don't know what it is, man. I'm talking about all of it. Any type of football, junior football, high school football, college football. Pro- Give me that football in my life. And that was great watching that. But as far as what's going on um, with the Seahawks, the mock game, I'm looking forward to that today. But more importantly, I did have a question for you, Brady. Okay. Let's hear it. You're always at training camp. Yeah. Always. And and you've got some observations. I want you to share with us right here 
your hot take that you've been having in your mind, but you're in, but you can't write about it. Like you have a hot yeah. take that, like, yo, this is what I see from this team. But I can't write about this. Well, this is perfect because I was going to try to tee you up with a question <laughs> about the same player that I'm going to mention here. So one way or another, uh, we're going to talk about this player. Okay, my hot take, G, is that within, I'll say within three years, Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be an all-pro. Now, not not just pro bowler, and there's a huge distinction there. There's you know six, seven pro bowl receivers every year. I think there's only three all-pros, so it's a much more... Um, it, it, it's a, yeah, it's a much more exclusive yeah, list. The entire of, league, too, right? Not just AFC, NFC. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to say within three years, he is an All Pro. Now that is that is this is a hot take here. I'm I'm not like guaranteeing this is going to happen. No, no, this no, is no, a hot take we're not, prediction. We're here. not. Okay. Hold on. We're not judging you, bro. This is on your mind. It's not like you're writing about it. But right. these are the things you're observing. This is what you're seeing, and you have this hot take. But I ain't going to write about it. Yeah. Now, I always say I really try not to overhype rookies, and here I go. This, this, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna break my rule here. I just can't help myself because when I watch him, I just see a completely polished, completely in control, savvy, um, just guy who looks like he's gonna be a stud. And you hear the players talk about him that same way. Just looks incredible, and and I, I get why he dropped to twenty uh, overall. You know, there's the hamstring injury last year. The 40 time wasn't like he's not a burner, uh, but the guy just looks like an absolute stud. Mm. Mm. That's a good hot take. I like that hot take. I'm going I'm to text his daddy and tell him you said that. Yeah. Said okay. Okay. Pro. So th- this is what I was going to ask you. <laughs> okay. About what what is realistic expectation in year one? I'm going to give you some numbers here. Okay. 51 catches, 664 yards, six touchdowns. That's what Tyler Lockett produced as a rookie and I'm wondering if you think generally and maybe some of the numbers are over some are below but generally I'm wondering if you think he's going to outproduce those numbers if that's about right is going to be below that because it's easy to say he's looked incredible in training camp and he has even going back to you know late in the spring when he got on the field but the fact is it's a run heavy offense you know they're going to want to run the ball you know they've got Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf one of the best one-two punches at wide receiver so there's not a lot of footballs to go around, not a lot of touches to go around. So I'm wondering if you think those numbers, 51 catches, about 650 yards, six touchdowns, what do you think of that as kind of a baseline for Jackson Smith and Jigba as a rookie? Uh, I need my mathematicians out there. So uh, there are 17 regular season games. Let's go help me out. Right, we have we have tried to do radio math. It goes terrible. Yeah, it goes terrible. But we got some back some folks back there on the computer. Okay, so you got uh, let's see, uh, 17, uh, 51 catches in the 17, uh, 17 games. How many times would that be? What we got right there? So it would have to be. Uh, it's about three catches a game. About three catches a game. That's for, exactly three for, catches. A game. For oh wow, it is. <laughs> For Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think that that is about right. I don't want to sit here and say, oh, no, he's going to just bypass that. Because he is in a very good room. There's a talented room. I think Tyler Lockett is the most underrated wide receiver in the game. Like, it's disrespectful how underrated that he is. I think DK Metcalf, the the emotional one of the group, I think he is an excellent. Jackson tells me all the time he loves DK. I think he's an excellent leader in that room. Um, 
I think because of Jackson Smith and Jigba, because of how good he is, my hot take is, yeah, you guys ready for this? Yep. My hot take is that the Seattle Seahawks lead the league in scoring this season. Mm-hmm. I, I Now, I would like, I'd have some more comfort with that hot take. If we 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 get we we good on these running backs, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I mean? I would have a little bit more of a hot take on that. But so instead of Jackson Smith and Jigba having more than 51 catches and more than would you say 600 yards, 664 yeah, yards yeah. and six instead, touchdowns. So instead of him having more of that, how about Jackson Smith and Jigba has a little less than that? And because he has a little less, the offense itself is more explosive. I think Geno Smith coming into I, – I think Geno Smith is going to beat, outdo what he did last season. And I don't think that that's a hot take. I think there's actually a reasonable take, Lefko. And the reason why is, is last season he was splitting reps. Last season there we didn't know, he didn't know, who the starting quarterback was going to be until week one. Now he's had an entire season, entire offseason, excuse me, of knowing that he's going to be the guy. Why don't we switch to the other side of the ball? Because I think the offense certainly a lot of fun. The potential's there. Potential to be the highest scoring team in the league, certainly with all those weapons. What about defense and uh, maybe specifically the linebackers? If you look at guys like Jordan Brooks and the lack of depth behind there. I guess, okay, let's let's phrase it this way. The, look at the two guys that have not practiced yet, Jordan Brooks and Jamal Adams. What are the chances they start the season with the team, or do they start on the pup list? My guess with Jordan Brooks is that he is going to start on PUP. Just that's based on, A, the fact that he has not done anything in practice to this point. Now, he's working out, and the word from Pete Carroll yesterday was that all the guys on PUP are healed right now. So it's not about their injuries needing more time to heal. It's about them getting in football shape to the point where they can do it every day. Um, but that said, neither of those two guys have done anything to this point this offseason. Jordan Brooks tore his ACL on January 1st. We know the general timeline for that injury. It's nine months or so. So just based on the timing, it's hard to imagine uh, that he's going to be ready by the season opener. So I, I I think it's very likely that he begins the season on PUP, which would mean missing at least the first four games. They've got their buy in week six, so he'd be eligible to come back. Sorry, they got their buy in week five. He'd be eligible to come back in week six. Somebody check me on that. Make sure I'm not screwing that up. Uh, but radio math. I know the yeah. buy is week five. Week yeah. five. Okay, that's right. Right, and it, and it's now four games you got to miss uh, while on PUP down from six. Adams. I'm not as confident that he is going to start on PUP as I am with Brooks, but I, it does feel like it's trending uh, that way. And, and, you know, I think there's an interesting conversation. You were started the question by asking about the linebackers. I, you've got to look beyond Wagner, Brooks, Bush when you talk about linebackers because the plan is for whenever he's back on the field for Jamal Adams to basically play a lot of weak side linebacker. Yeah, what do you think about Jamal specifically here, G? I mean, he's always a lightning rod, but... Mm-hmm expectations for him, what you think he could do, and when he comes back? I think, um, first, let me start off with um, the likelihood of uh, both of them being there week one. Um, Me, myself, I don't see it happening. I don't know anything, but I'm just saying I don't see, I don't foresee it happening for them to come. And I don't, I don't think if you really, if you're a fan and you really are excited about this team, you know that uh, 
the season isn't won in September and October. You know, there's a lot of teams out there that are really good in September and October. I think the most important part of the season we all know is December, right? Like that's when it gets gets real. So I don't foresee them being there week one. As for Jamal Adams, what do I think about him? First, personally, I think he's a great dude. I think he's an incredible dude. Um, I think he's a huge talent. I think, uh, unfortunately, that the injuries have really plagued him. They really hurt. This last injury, mm, this was a <laughs> this was a real one, right? This is a real injury. I think the expectations of what he will do this season are probably higher amongst um, we as fans out here than maybe than reality, right? Um, are we looking like when you say when I say expectations? Are your expectations is that Jamal Adams is back to the Jamal Adams that when he first shows up, when he was absolutely incredible? If that's your expectation, I'll tell you mine. My expectations is that I don't know if we'll see that Jamal Adams again. That Jamal Adams was really good. I don't have the stats off my head, but... Nine and a half sacks in 12 games in 2020. That's why we have Brady. He does have the stats. I I mean, come on now, y'all. Right? Like, not... Let me say that again. Say it again. Nine and a half sacks in 12 games. (sighs) That's a... That expectation, I don't know about that. Is there an expectation for him to come and be that veteran person out there on the field? Sure. No doubt about it. But... I do think where the Seahawks win and where they have been so good, there's this thing they say. I don't know if you guys have heard it. It's called next man up. Yeah, heard that. Right. You've heard that. They're really good at that. So I tell you a name that y'all going to be saying a lot. Julian Love is good. Like for real, y'all. I know he's not a household name. I know you probably listen. Like Julian Love. Julian Love is good. Your thoughts on Julian Love, Brady? Yeah, he's the the every every time his name comes up, one of the things you hear about him is smart, uh, instinctive. He was a team captain with uh, the Giants last season. Played all over their secondary. He's one of those guys where you just wonder when you hear all these positive things about him, then you see the way he plays. And he's had an interception the other day in training camp. It, it's you wonder why would a team not want to resign that guy? And you know, look, contract disputes happen all the time. It was just a matter of wanting a guy wanting more money, whatever. You know, internal disputes happen. Whatever the case may be, this is it was a blessing for the Seahawks that he was there, especially given their situation at safety with Jamal Adams coming off the big injury, uh, and, and like we said, maybe not being ready by week one. I think whenever Jamal Adams comes back. You're still going to see a lot of Jordan Love on the field. It's not like Adams comes back and Jordan Love. Or Jordan Love, I need a swear jar every time I do that. Like, it's all right. I said uh, Julio and Gino and combined them yesterday. So I think I did okay. it twice yeah. there in like the span of ten seconds. Julian Love. Whenever Adams comes back, it's not a case of Julian Love is going to go back to the bench and just be a, a, a part-time player. You're going to see them use him a lot again because Adams. I think in a lot of passing situations is effectively going to play linebacker, and you're going to see Diggs and Love back there. And, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do for that defense. Um, he just looks like a guy who, again, I just I don't know why the Giants wouldn't want to resign him. It's kind of a head-scratcher. Yeah, well, this has been great. G, I know you got to go. We were keeping you late here. Uh, you have you have your show to do, so All thanks right. for joining us here. All right. I, I hope that um, when I leave that by the end of the show you guys get uh, marriage proposals. 
There, there's a walk. There's a walk off there. There's a walk, drop the walk, mic. Yeah. Into Brock. Brock's always trying to yeah. get everyone married. Brock was yeah. trying to set me up for an entire show. So now G has thrown Brady on the market there. Uh, all right. We'll take some time to process that and see if Brady gets any marriage proposals. But uh, more coming up on the Seahawks, especially one ranking that doesn't have a lot of Seahawks in the top 30 of this ranking, but it's a good thing. We'll explain that next. It's the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app.